0: Hello everyone, Uh, my name is Maria Villablanca. I am the co-founder and CEO of Future Insights Network. I am joined today for today's podcast with someone really exciting, Henrik von Schiele, who is best known as the originator of Industry 4.0. Henrik, thank you very much for joining us. There's so much that I can say about who you are, but I think it's probably best if maybe you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your journey so far.
1: <laughs> Thank you very much, Maria. Well, yes, people know me best as the originator of the industry 40, but that's not my core expertise. My core expertise is strategy and competitiveness. And uh, when I was a young guy, I had hair and I had ambitions, and I wanted to go to university first. But my dad, he thought I should have a very practical education. He wanted to, I should come, go into bakery and so on. So I took the most practical education of any. I became a horse butcherer. so yeah so after a half year I had the certification on my hand I put it on the table and said okay daddy now I want to go to university. He felt a little bit fooled but I went to university and uh, I think he became happy for that afterwards. So my first experience was actually in in a very practical manufacturing. (laughs) it was in a, in a horse slaughtering manufacturing in, in Germany. So um, a slaughter manufacturing um, is probably the, the most practical you can get in, in, in manufacturing. Yeah. And so after I- that, I, I went to school, med- medical school, and then I, um, I, I just got a passion for strategy and implemented ERP and did the ACP implementation method. and. Um, so on.
0: Well, you, you work with a lot of companies, don't you? You work with uh, you know, hundreds of the companies in the Fortune uh, 100. You've been named by the Financial Times as one of the leading authorities on strategy and competitiveness. And uh, uh, you uh, really like to dive deep into how a company can remain competitive. So maybe we, given the audience that we have, we talk a little bit about smart manufacturing uh, industry 4.0 um, maybe get some practical insights. So there, I've got a lot of questions, but let's start with where you think the uh, industry is going today with regards to digital transformation. Let's start first with smart manufacturing and the benefits of that.
1: So smart manufacturing. So to come to the fourth industrial revolution, so any of these um, four industrial revolutions that has been there so far have always the epicenter of that has been manufacturing. And the fourth industrial revolution, the epicenter of that is also um, manufacturing. So it, it was ignited in 2009 in Germany when we did the German strategy. And Germany's biggest part is 70% manufacturing. And we gathered all the industry leaders together and we were trying to find out how can we increase the growth and productivity of Germany. So the manufacturing strategy or the digital agenda for Germany was focused on manufacturing on how can we increase the productivity level because Germany had a difficult time to um, have, uh, to compete, to keep the prices high. So this is where we focused on policies, but we focused on um, where is the future that manufacturing needs to move on. And we realized that five trends are colliding together. And that's actually the third industrial revolution, which is like, um, which is the digital um, movement towards it. So to put it simple, the fourth industrial revolution is the colliding of three different worlds. It's the it's the digital world, it's the physical world, and it's the virtual world. And from a practical point of view, from engineering, it's the colliding of three different worlds and um, which is enterprise architecture, which is how IT works, how you do information flow, data flow, connectivity. This is the digital part of it. And then there's the the physical part of it, which is a very engineering driven, um, uh, where you do the machines, the knitting, the the dotting, and then you have the virtual aspect. (coughs) And the virtual aspect is the enterprise modeling. The virtual aspect is often um, strategy, business model, um, how you can design your growth, your productivity, and so on. And since these three worlds are colliding together, um, they're normally not the core traditional skills in manufacturing. So, um, skills levels, most people are, um, it's such a big change coming so fast. Um, And because the margin level, and the profitability level is so under-constrained, and they're all looking for each other to see what they're doing. And so this is a good chance, because the Fourth Industrial Revolution reshapes all the competitive boundaries and borders that are. It reshapes the way that skills can be um, applied. It reshapes how you can compete, the market you can compete with. It reshapes how you can set up your supply chain. So, who supplies which ports parts for you? So, this is the shortest version on, on um, the why it's the epicenter and what it does for you.
0: And from a, from a um, skills perspective, you mentioned that traditionally engineering is, I, I guess, traditionally manufacturing people are engineers. How do they uh, manage themselves, their teams for a future where these three worlds are
1: colliding? So, um one of the challenges is, for example, when you want to handle something like a digital supply chain. When you go from a traditional to a digital supply chain. I want to try to keep it a little bit practical, Maria. So in a, in a traditional supply chain, you, you normally look on development, planning, sourcing, make, deliver, support. And this is like a certain flow that you go through. Then you have on the first, first part, on development, plan, source, and make, you have quality sensing. And on the other parts, you have cognitive plannings. And then, so you have a certain rhythm and everything fits together in a certain sequence. And this has worked for years and it worked really well. So how, how it's changing today is that you suddenly have partners, you have tier twos, and then it becomes a digital um, supply network. And if you're not digitally enabled to even connect with your partner, or to communicate just internally, then you can't even set the digital as a core-op, so you can't synchronize planning, you can't connect to your customers, because everything is in a, di- and a di- and different format, mm-hmm. and you can't have a dynamic fulfillment of the orders. So supply chain, the trucks driving out and so on, or the trucks coming in, you can't have a digital development, because part of the development won't all be in-house, or you won't have an intelligent supply chain where you say, you know what, where is this next delivery? Is it in the warehouse or is it in the production? Is the time, timing of this correct? So suddenly, all of this digital part becomes a smart manufacturing that is connected with a supply chain.
0: So, so, going back to the skill set element for practical guidelines, so manufacturing directors today, supply chain directors today, They are uh, drowning in a great deal of data um, and they are also getting instructions, whether it's from above, from their shareholders to become more digitally savvy, more digital and so forth. How does uh, practically, how does one transform their teams, their processes, uh, their businesses uh, in a credible way fast enough?
1: Yeah, you know, um, I didn't answer your question on, on competences, but I, I, I will do it now. So, and I think most of the people that are within manufacturing, they, are, they have the heart at the right place and they have a passion for manufacturing. Yeah. And manufacturing is certain skills that you learn. It's like you learn to sell. It's a skill, it's a discipline that you have to learn. But suddenly this discipline includes more elements to it. So anything you do on digital is very IT driven. Mm -hmm. and so suddenly you have information flow you have data flow and suddenly you have everything that you can virtually look in suddenly you come into 3d printing and censoring suddenly your quality control becomes a different thing because it becomes physical because you have to take the test out but it comes you have all of these IT elements that goes to it and then at the top level the business they have these competencies that suddenly they view everything from a growth perspective, from yeah. a quality perspective, yeah. from a safety perspective, from a sustainability perspective, and actually from a workforce perspective and competitive perspective. So suddenly before it was an easy thing, you have a profit and loss, you can manage it easy. Suddenly you have to have an elements where you have to learn about six business models. Yes. You have to learn about how to take the decisions. You have to learn about a supply chain, and you have to learn about the things that are far more connected. You have to view from an end-to-end view. And so the key decision cycle at executive level is at an end-to-end view. So suddenly, executives need to learn skills on, notation, on notations, Mean that they need to have a full view on their business, how the business is running, and how they're developing their business. And then I take decisions on the flows, on what is my service flow. That's how I'm set up. This is my warehouse. This is my delivery. This is how I, I make it. This is, suddenly you say, good, this is how it flows. This is how my information flow works. Because in reality, you'll be surprised to hear, Maria, that nearly 95% of data in manufacturing is not used. And so my gut feeling is because most of this data is not really useful yeah and the useful information that is needed is not being connected and why because you haven't viewed it from an end-to-end view well i was was just
0: going to say that i I was just going to say that i mean you talk about uh in my opinion something that perhaps is an ideal you know having someone able to have a business end-to-end view without silos i mean that's something that manufacturers have been talking about and supply chain people have been talking about for a long time now. So, how do you get these people to look at something from a very, very top level view? Is is that practical? Is it happening?
1: Yes, it, it's practical and it's happening. So, I think, I think there's a transitioning happening. I can I, I can explain that a little bit from the competencies because the more the the teams are pressured um, on competences, um, they can't just buy new competences. And um, because it, it, their, their business is very unique, so they have to evolve, but they have to evolve as, as teams together. So from a practical point of view, what I always recommend is to do prototyping. And prototyping is the way where you look in your own environment, what really works and the team educates themselves. You align yourself because part of the competence that is missing is not an outside competence. It's an alignment competence so that everybody knows what is going on in the end the in the warehouse. Why are we producing it like this? Why are the executives taking decisions like this? What are the trends that are pushing into our operations? What are the regulations? What are the competitive forces? Why is our revenue model going down? Um, Why are we losing the contracts with Tesco? Why are we doing so that everybody is aligned to it and then also understand the underlying problems to it, saying, why is it that we cannot deliver on time? Is it our partner that is not doing it? Is it our warehouse that is not doing it? Because normally the most problems that I experience in most um, uh, organizations, the most problems that are identified are not the real problems. Yeah. They are they are the outcome. They're not the underlying sand in the machine. And it's just an indicator on top of the motor that the engine is not having the power, but the sand in the machine is not. It's the fine, grainy things. And this is like the first element of competence alignment. It's actually with the alignment of the executive and the and the, and and the planning team and the warehouse team. And then once they understand. And then you can introduce the new competencies because then they learn. If they will learn as a team, they have a clear focus because what do you create with them? You create clarity mm-hmm. and then you create focus and focus will create accountability. And manufacturing is all about, okay, good, let's move to action. We have talked enough, let's do it. So the meetings with them are often saying, yes, 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 we get it. Let's do it. So um, this is where you have to first align them, then introduce a new competence and learn it, and then practically apply it to them. So I think there's a, and there's, a, there's a split that is happening right now. One split is that they're using consultant companies with expertise competence, where they decide, on this is my core expertise, and this is my non-core Yeah. So everything which is non-core, they should continue to use consultant companies and everything with their core, they need to have consultant companies that enables their team to go from this level to this level, yeah. from this level to this level. And part of this, why why I'm really excited about future insight is because um, you can always receive input from yourself. Mm-hmm. But you cannot solve a problem internally if you're part of the problem.
0: Well, you know, in English we have a saying which is sometimes you are, uh, what was it, you can't see the wood for the trees because you're staring, you're so deep into the problem, you're so immersed yourself into the problem that you can't really see the problem itself. Um, let's, Let's take this back for a second. I have had a lot of conversations with people, no doubt you probably have as well, that seem to be, and maybe maybe people aren't admitting this so much, but they seem to be digitizing or modernizing or implementing digital transformation for the sake of digitizing without looking at the, their underlying core processes or the overall business model. Would you agree? Have you found similar things?
1: I would totally agree with you. I would totally agree with you. I think there's underlying elements that are, because see, <clears throat> manufacturing and supply chain management has, by design, been project-driven year after year. So they do a project, oh, digitalization, then the project becomes this part of digitalization or this part of this. And the competencies that we need is the link between the team and the leadership team. So the leadership team needs to learn new competencies on, for example, how to manage in the business model. And the business model is a clear way where you see all the operations, you see your information flow, your service flows. You see where you can integrate, optimize how you can, where your processes are, how where your resources are, how your cost flow is, how your revenue flow is. So you see the entire organization in one view. So normally, when I'm at executives, they have this on the wall and it becomes normally a four meter by three meters huge poster,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: they they do post its on it. Why? Because The information they take today are siloed. And so when you want to take digital information, when you do a project, it's siloed. Digitalization is by design connectivity of things. So this is where you say, good, where is it on my full view of the company I need to integrate? So I need to deliver a better service to the client. That I'm doing in my supply chain. Good. How do I optimize, for example, my, rela- my predictability on pro- my production? How do I increase my um, uptime or my production efficiency? Yeah. So this is where you look on digitalization to say, oh, this is where I'm doing my, my uptime on, on production, or this is how I automate my production, or my material handling, or uh, mm-hmm. how do I have minimal human um, interaction so you map it and you see it and you say good so why is this not working like this why is this manually and this is automated that means my maturity level is high here and because like a bottleneck this is the bottleneck so everything in the in the end to end flow is maturity level 0 yeah because everything is actually level 3 except one so the easy Easy um, release point for them, low-hanging fruit and saying, good, now I can view it. I put this level one to level three and all is level three. So this is what you do in digitalization. You say, good, I have already invested in all these projects. I'm just missing this one. But because they cannot see it, then it becomes ad hoc. They have not connected the dots. So all the investments they have done the last 10 years is what they need to leverage now. This is digitalization you don't have to start over you have to just connect the dots
0: yeah yeah and and how i mean one says it's easy right you and i can sit here and say you just have to connect the dots how difficult do you think it is on a practical level for people that are you know trying to drive a business trying to stay competitive trying to stay ahead of the curve how easy or you know hard is it for them to do that i like to compare it i like to say that it's like trying to change the tires on a on a bus while it's moving
1: yes this is actually really easy but it requires them to stand sit back and think yeah because normally, just think about you drive a car and the car stops so what normal manufacturing do is just a project you know next project next project what you normally do is you step out the car, you check the engine, you check the tires, you check everything, and normally you have a good chance to find it out yourself. Yeah. If you cannot find it out, then you get a consultant company or it's somebody else. But normally you can find it out yourself just by going around the car. You can check and so on. Yeah. Why is that important? The way that a company executives or the plant manager, directors, and all this would see it is in a business model. They would see oops, why are my costs too high? When it's a simple thing, my costs are too so high, or um, I'm not delivering on time, or I'm not comparing myself with these two, three big contracts. I'm not doing it sufficiently enough. I'm being downrated by this and this supplier. So this is very, very practical. And then a project comes out of it. But then instead of finding the solution immediately, you actually look and say, what is the broad view that's not working? And so two or three fixes. This is what is normally called prototyping, so you don't disturb the existing running business. You are just fine-tuning and seeing the engine to actually select. You put a filter yeah. on all the, all the gasoline that comes into the engine so, so that you don't get sand in the engine. And this is what you're doing because the filter is the business model where you can view it. And then you can say, good, if this is the problem, it's connected with all these three things. If this is the problem, it's connected with all these things.
0: Henrik, what what would you advise? I mean, you keep talking about prototyping. What would you advise uh, people right now? Would you advise them to take a step back and try to prototype some processes, look at their teams? What what are the quick wins, if, if, if that's even possible?
1: Well, well, the quick wins is to look on saying the engine has stopped. So look at what is the pain point. Is my revenue low or is my cost, cost do I have too much cost? So do I need to have more operational excellence? So executives normally run the three strategies today. Yeah. And out of these three strategies, they're looking and saying, good, what are the options I have? And instead of going prototyping, is nothing else where, where you say, good, I need some good insight from from um, future insight to say, good, um, do you have some, um, my, my challenge is my warehouse. I know my warehouse is totally, utterly outdated. It brings my cost up and my growth up. Can you give me a best practice on what others are doing? The best practice only tells you on what you have to focus on. It doesn't tell you on how you should do it. So this is then you go into the prototype and you say, good, I, I'm not going to disturb my existing warehouse because it's already running. The machine is running. So how do I slowly shift the pedals? Because I have outstanding contracts and then I'm doing it like this. And it might be, it's, it, so prototyping is not the big bang change. Prototyping is how do I come from here to here, from here to here, from here to here. I take one bite at a time. I'm not trying to conquer the world by, you know, the old experience that manufacturing have and it gives them the goosebumps is EAP. Yeah. You know, implementing EAP like, oh, I have to change everything. And it, because it, those,
0: those were usually huge projects. You know, those were enormous yes. projects, disturbing projects.
1: Yes, it, it, it This disrupts everything for them so I'm mean, like most most elements that you focus on very practically is actually how do I get a better connect connectivity how do we get a better optimization so integration alignment how do you get a better transparency because often transparency might be the most valuable thing to say order tracking yeah it might just be you know I need to have a forecast on my um, customer demands or I need to have consistent decision-making because that, that delays my, my, my um, product um, because nobody takes a decision, you know. Do, do. It, it might be very simple. How do I move from, an, from a connective and transparent element to a proactive element? So um, that's why you would say, how do I automatically restock? How do I automatically do replenishment? Or how do I do issue handling in my quality of my supply chain? How do I do my real-time safety monitoring, right? Yeah. It might just be that you want to say, good, if, if productivity is not a problem, let's move into agility because I want to be agile. I need to be agile in my scheduling. I need to be agile in terms of how my impact is in real time. And in real time in manufacturing is a really, really big challenge because real time is often, you see if this is the activity and this is the input and this is the output, everything we measure in manufacturing is output driven. Yes. It has already happened. So if you can measure something in real time, meanwhile, it happens You have to look at it from a different view. So then you have to use the service flow, because everything we measure in manufacturing is process-driven. So it's process output. So the activity already happened. Meanwhile, the activity happens. We can do it in the service flow. The service flow is connected with the information flow and with your data flow. This is where you can stop it, meanwhile, the activity happens. This is really important for manufacturing.
0: Let's get, let's get back to competitiveness uh, and, and digitization in general. You know, why do it? Uh, yeah. What advice do you have to companies? And maybe this is obvious, I don't know. I mean, we talked about people sometimes being so entrenched deep in their own problems and their own issues, and they're digitizing because they know they have to do it. But why? Talk to us about the, the world as it is today and how it's moving, how, as you see it. Uh, how it's moved since the origination of Industry 4.0. Why digitize? So,
1: so I think the why is is more of of um. So it's not a question if if they if they want to. It's a question that they have to. If they want to be on market and be relevant, then they have to have a low cost. They have to have to apply with the safety regulations. They have to um, have a a sustainability element to it because that's required in both the food products in how they produce and how they supply. It's a high demand from consumers. They have to look on asset efficiency, quality, and operational excellence. And they have to look on all the elements, how they work. So this is one element where they say, good, if I want to be minimum as good as my competition, have comparative competitiveness, this is the area where you have to stay relevant in your industry. You have to do it. If you want to be have competitive advantage, so digitalization is not a question of, um, of competitive advantage. Digitalization can only give you comparative competitiveness. So this is where you can compete with them. You can have a, a digitalized supply chain management. You can have a digitalized, manufacturing so your warehouse your production line you have a virtual um warehouse all of this is connected together so it will give you a certain um benefits within but it only gives you comparative advantage so the benefits that you get just to be that you can play the game it, it will give you um um a digitalized twin so you can have a backup of most of the information It will give you an element where you can have censoring. If you don't have digitalization, you cannot have sensors. It would give you um, augmented reality that you can view on how the production line is, the timing, the uptime, the downtime. It would give you autonomous robots. Robots have to be connected digitally. Mm -hmm. It, It would give you an analytical edge So your production line will be faster. Your warehouse tracking, your inventory um, tracking will be better. Your quality will increase. And so your operational cost in the beginning will increase because you invest in digitalization and then it will decrease.
0: Well, so operational costs will increase initially, decrease later, but then competitiveness because how much is consumer behavior uh, impacting uh, supply chains and manufacturing? even B2B manufacturing today.
1: So, Maria, the question I should probably ask you, when you buy food, do you actually look on where it comes from and if it's, it has all these um, environmental stamps on it?
0: No, actually, you know, I, I, it depends on what I'm buying. Yeah, it, it depends on what I'm buying. On average, I try, to, I try to be savvy about the kind of things that I'm buying. I am making decisions about them
1: yes well my wife is really big into that yeah and and so she looks on the meat that she buys that it hasn't been transported far she she looks at she she rather wants to buy a little bit more expensive meat um than, um because she, she she feels that the animal had a better life Reality, nobody knows if the animal had a better life. It has a quality stamp. She looks at the quality stamps. She looks at everything that is put into the production of the bread and all of these things. Not that we have allergies, but she doesn't want to have too many of these elements. So a lot of these elements are driven by consumers. Not
0: only that, but I expect things quicker. You know, five years ago, ten years ago, if an item was going to be delivered in, in a week, that was fine. Today, I'm expecting an hour. Uh, yes, uh, you know, and I'm expecting it in an hour. I'm expecting to be able to track it. I'm expecting to be able to trace it to return it. I'm expecting it to be at a very high uh, quality and low price.
1: Yes. So, so for example, when when you look at all the the sandwiches that are in booths, in Tesco's, or or the salads and and all of these, all the smaller desserts. I mean, like, they have a certain time level where they can be sold on within 24 hours or within 48 hours and so on. And people, how they are visually looking the sandwiches and how often they've been put forth and back. Well, they are they are put on demands from us when we buy a sandwich. But the demands are in reality put on by Boots, by Tesco, um, by Harrods, and all the other ones who sell the sandwiches. Why? Because they are the ones who are... Um, who are looking for a certain clientele they are selling to and they want to have a certain runover. Mm-hmm. So that means in order for you as a manufacturer to compete with the production line of a salad that you put in there, and your supply chain has to be set in the right way that you can supply it with the partners, that it's digital, so you have a direct link to when there's the demand there, when, how is your production line. Do you have to shift anything in your production line? How much do you have on warehouse? How much timing is there? And what is the weather forecast and how many are actually going there? So, I mean, if your transportation line into London is two hours and the the life cycle of the product has to be on the shelf at six o'clock in the morning or whatever, I mean, like you have a certain limit on production line you have, you have a production line that, so all of this is a cycle you have to really consider. Then there might be products that have a very different life cycle, but have a different level of quality level to it, like lamps, or it might just be submaterial. So all of this has a certain life cycle to it. Environment and safety and health is really really big on plastics, on everything that you do, and so on.
0: So so clearly we can see the benefits of smart manufacturing, the benefits of uh, that the. Uh, Industrial fourth, you know, fourth Revolution is done. What, what, uh, who's doing it well, do you think? Can you give some examples of who's doing it well?
1: So um, some, of the, um, some of the big ones, um, uh, like IKEA is doing it quite well. I've been engaged quite well in IKEA, been ABB, and some of Mercedes and BMW. Some of the big ones, they do it well. Um, they're big, they have money, and they spend a lot of money on it. Um, but they're also a big organization. That means it's a big tanker ship that you have to move. Mm -hmm. Um, In reality, um, the the mid-market has the same chance to move as fast. Um, So they actually have an, an ability to move faster because the investment that is required for it is not necessarily more. What the big guys are investing is not getting the more out of it. They have just the fancy marketing around it. They have a lot of people around it. But you can do the same efforts and the same effect being the smaller one. Actually, I believe you can do a stronger and better effect. Why? Because um, mid-market manufacturing, they're more agile to adapt to the market. So I had one one Estonian manufacturing that has three production lines. And one of these production lines is is, is marble plates for kitchens. And their biggest market um, so far has been Europe. And then the whole um, um, import and export war with China arose. And um, they asked me to come to the board meeting and help them to say, good, you know what, we think that might be an advantage. So now, four months later, the biggest contracts is the U.S. market. And suddenly the U.S. market is a different market because they have all the, all the plates for the kitchen goes for all the all the food chains that they have. And they have big orders. Mm. So that's very diff- different than the European market. So now 90% of their revenue within a short period of time comes from the U.S. So this is, you cannot expect that from a big player. Mm. Because they're not that agile to say, whoa, that's an opportunity. How valid is that? How can we change it? The only thing they changed is to setup up in their supply chain. They changed the setup in their production line. And they say, good, let's test it. Let's go for some contracts and let's go. Could you imagine a big player doing that?
0: I mean, yeah, that's, but that's what they're up against, though. That's the thing.
1: That's yes. what they're up against. And that's the chance they had, because the con- the big contracts were by the big guys from China. So suddenly yes. China was not there anymore. They realized Estonia had better quality. Good. And so that's that's big money we're talking about. So it's about how well can you adapt to regulations, how well can you adapt to the the global trade aspects that is coming and how well can you actually, because your manufacturing elements on your warehouse supply chain, your production, your supply chain, you can mingle that around and change that in terms of the demand very fast. Mm-hmm. So
0: I think maybe if, if we sort of wrap it up a little bit and start to think about any practical advice you've, you've, you've touched upon prototyping, you've touched upon looking at processes, stepping back, what, what practical advice would you be able to give our viewers uh, with regards to the next steps?
1: So I think I've given that advice before, but I will do it again, Maria, and I think you're, you're a big fan of that one. I think that, that 80% within manufacturing, uh, you have to focus, that is non-core. Yes. That is where you have to get the best information from future insights on what are the best practices. Why? Because the best practices is what's focusing on where do I need to have a high level of maturity? Where do I need to have our low cost? Where do I need to get it as cheap as possible to get a better alignment, integration, and optimization? I need to have my digitalization, I need to focus on there to be far better connected, have a stronger automation to it. Because if you can do this, this enables you to stand. Yeah. Then you can go to the next part, which is the 15%. And this is what we discussed in this call, this is where you are able to have comparative competitiveness. This is the only elements. If you have the 80%, if you can stand, then you can start to compete. And this is where you start to run, but you don't outrun. You just run with the flock at the front line, but you don't yeah. outrun. So this is where you are getting inside, and you do prototyping on, on this, this. This is where if I had... I would ask somebody like you, Marie, and say, good, what is the best practice, for example, in my industry within production line or supply chain? So, because the industry is specific, this is where you need to find out where is it I'm comparing with my competitors and I need to be minimum as good as they are. And then the last bit is the most difficult thing, because this is where you design where I'm out competing my competitors. And since I've been doing that for of the fortune 500 when McKinsey and Deloitte and Accenture and all these guys walk out the door and they have come with their big slides and how they can change the world. This is where you then define the 5% core differentiation because the challenging thing is if an organization would know it, they would do it. Yeah. And this is not something that just pops up and says, oh, ah, great. I just read this in the article. Let's do it this way. No, no. When you read it in the article, that's industry practices or best practices. You have to go in the closed door room and really think about how will I outcompete my competitors for the years to come? How will I be the front runner? And most of them that you outcompete won't even know what hit them.
0: I think that's, um, that's, that's very, very wise to, you know, and it's something that I think a lot of people don't spend a lot of time thinking about because they're so busy day-to-day running their business. Yeah, you're right. Well, you know what, Henrik, thank you very much for your time. Uh, Henrik, we really look forward to seeing you in uh, Dusseldorf on the 5th and 6th of June at our Manufacturing Insights live event. If uh, any of our viewers want to uh, see Henrik's session, you'll get a chance to chat uh, we could be here for a long time chatting about this and maybe get some practical advice, get an opportunity to network with their peers and benchmark and really see exactly as you're saying, Henry, who's doing it well, uh, who's not doing it well, um, and get some practical guidelines and practical advice. Yeah. Henrik, thank you so much for coming. Thank you very much. Thank you for and the time. We'll look forward to seeing you soon. Thank okay. you very much, everybody, for watching. This is Maria Villablanca from Future Insights Network.